Informed, where we bring you progressive voices and civil dialogue across the political divide. This is Ed Fallon, your host, and we're coming to you from the heart of America, the, well, the Des Moines, Iowa. We're the heart of the heart. There you go. Hey, so the theme of today's program, if there could be a theme, is hypocrisy. Yeah, this could be a much longer conversation than just one hour. We could go on for hours and hours, but uh, we'll, do with what we, we'll do with what the time we have. So, hey, remember that if you value what we do, we need your support. Uh, visit the donations page of the Fallon Forum website. Better yet, tell me you're ready to make a monthly pledge or whatever, of whatever amount you want because uh, we've got 25 people right now doing that. We need to get that up to 30. We could sure use your support. And thanks also to the local businesses that help support this program, Gateway Marketing Cafe. That's Des Moines' locally owned and uh, specialty grocery store. Uh, Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. You can also order groceries online, and Gateway offers a catering and floral service as well. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. Thanks also to Architecture by Synthesis, adamantly and actively supporting the mission of the Fallon Forum and community radio stations. Owner Mark Clipsham knows we must build better health for people and the planet and the services he provides are committed to that goal. That's Architecture by Synthesis. All right, so here's our lineup today. Uh, for our podcast audience, we'll be interviewing Justin Lewis, a candidate for the Des Moines City Council. We'll also be talking with David Osterberg in an environmental perspective in favor of wind transmission lines. That should be an interesting conversation. We'll talk with uh, Joe Henry of LULAC about Governor Reynolds' double standard on immigration. We'll also talk about uh, some concerns relevant to climate change, the Gulf Stream's possibly imminent collapse, the um, dire predictions from the uh, Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, and also a group that are walking to the COP26 summit in Glasgow. We'll also talk about some dangerous lies that are out there and the hypocrites who like to spread them. And always ending on a good note, Kathy Burns will join us. We'll be doing our fall, actually not our fall garden, our August garden Q&A. At this point, though, I'd like to welcome Justin Lewis to the program. He's running for the at-large seat, currently held by Connie Bozen. And glancing at his website, Justin is a community activist who leads a nonprofit organization. He's also a business owner. Justin, welcome to the program. Yep. Thanks for having me. So first, tell us more about your nonprofit. Yeah, so my nonprofit's called Des Moines Selma. Uh, it's uh, a black-led uh, nonprofit, of course. Uh, but we focus on educating Iowans about the black experience and reality in Iowa so that we can make sure to cultivate and train allies to be able to show up when it matters most. Hmm. Very good. I assume getting the name from Selma. Yep, okay, absolutely. Right. Paying, paying homage to that. Yeah, very good. And the business you own? Yep, and then the business I own is Lewis Lawn and Labor. Um, that's been in operation since 2012. We are a water conservation and ur urban, well, really an urban eco-sustainability business that focuses on water conservation and restoring our soil. That keeps you busy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so um, as, you prior, as you prioritize all the challenges facing Des Moines, how important is the climate emergency to you? Yeah, I think it's at the, the top of my list. So when folks usually are asking what's one of the, one of the number one things I want to address while taking the seat is uh, addressing our, the water crisis here in Des Moines. As some may know that we are already drilling for water here in Des Moines. Um, and we're at stage two of this crisis, if you speak with Waterworks. Um, so th they are aware that there may not be no return if we don't address this immediately, and that's why we have begun drilling. Um, so that would be the most, uh, be at the top of my list of work I want to do, work upstreams, build some rapport with folks with other counties and cities, make sure we're putting in some cover crops so we can start capturing 
uh, what is coming down to us um, and prevent the, the million-dollar bill uh, yeah. to clean our water. Yeah, and it's a, it's, a, it's a multifaceted problem because we have this very, very polluted waterway, the Raccoon River, yeah. that, we, that we draw our primary source from, mm-hmm. and the Des Moines River, which has other problems, yeah. um, algae problems that are yes. in some, to some extent uh, enhanced by, by climate change. Uh, and then you have a, a roadblock between uh, the, uh, the the needs of cities and people who drink for a living and folks uh, upstream who don't want to be told what to do. Right. It's um, yeah. it's a problem. And uh, we also have a growing number of people who want to use water, businesses yeah. that want to use water. Yeah. And yeah, it's not just the West where the uh, where the water is a yes. big issue. Yeah, and I think they're on high alert too. I think it's real high alert. The Colorado River, Nevada, California. Um, yeah. My premise is there. There are folks. There, there, there are big chunks of the Western population of 70 million people in the nine states that comprise the Drought Monitor's Western region. Mm-hmm. I think there's big chunks of that crowd that are going to be moving elsewhere. Yeah, for sure. So, hey, so um, you mentioned um a couple things on your website that I was impressed with. I knew you mm-hmm. had like seven priorities, and one of them was uh, fix food deserts. Yeah. Another was uh, eco-urban sustainability. Um, that's very encouraging. Um, what, what can you? What more can you say about fixing yeah. food deserts? Yeah, so food deserts is um, fo- folks having access to clean, good food. Uh, there's a misconception that f- shelf stable food is is healthy, and it's not. What uh, do you mean you by sh- shelf stable? Shelf stable is like uh, devil's cheese, so Velveeta, which we you all mean use. Stuff, stuff. Well, no, I, I, I think I would almost rather starve <laughs> yeah. than touch that stuff. Yeah. Uh, so there's Velveeta. You. My wife calls it devil's cheese. Good but for her. <laughs> Velveeta, Cheetos, um, and just other foods that, you know, shelf stable. Uh, but that usually leads to diabetes and other mm. health issues. Uh, what I'm looking for is like fresh fruits, fresh produce, so folks can have access to good mm-hmm. food that nourish their bodies. But the big proponent is that is that <clears throat> most folks don't have vehicles. There's not Our bus systems are great here. I mean, they're good. But they don't also give folks a direct line to like hy or dolls. Yeah. Um, so one way to address that is, you know, giving incentives to mom and pop stores to come back mm-hmm. and start meeting those needs. Um, I think that will, will, will really change the game. And working with nonprofits and for-profits uh, that we're not working in silos uh, to, to fix this issue. But so it, it takes a leader, yeah. a champion. So, so a lot of what you're talking about is food distribution and accessibility. Mm-hmm. What about production? What about actually making sure we're able to yes. grow? Yes, yes, yes. Grow, grow our own food. Yes, absolutely. That's the exciting thing. So I uh, am in a good friend with Sweet Tooth Farms and uh, Eat Des Moines. Uh, these are great programs that are capturing food before they go to waste or they're growing it here in Des Moines. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to be a big champion for growing food and localizing it so we can drive down the cost mm-hmm. uh, and not be so reliant on a, a supply chain that can fall apart just like what took place here in the pandemic. So the, the city is doing a pretty good job with helping to support the Food Security Task Force, which Kathy and I helped mm-hmm. initiate. Yeah. Um, and and that's, uh, that's encouraging. But uh, one of the biggest lists that need to be asked of the city is, at what point do you say, okay, we're going we're gonna to forgo the most lucrative tax base option here and commit this land to food production? Yep. And that's been a problem for a number of people, including Sweet Tooth Farm, yep. um, including the yes. folks who are raising food down by Jasper Winery. Yep. So how, what, what would you do as a city council member to get the get the rest of the council to agree that, hey, some of this land ought to be agricultural. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think for, first it just takes some, it takes vision and it takes a plan. Right now, I don't think the city has a housing plan and I don't think it has a food plan. So that's one thing that I'll be championing is w- w- 
let's set up a plan so we can follow the standard uh, and, and prioritize our land. Hmm. If you're familiar with Clive, Clive uh, has done a great job with prioritizing their the last bit of land that they have. So developers <laughs> the are... Green Belt? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> They're focusing, uh, making developers do by, right by the land. And they have goats there. Yes, they do. Yes, they <laughs> the do. Clive Green Belt goats. Des Moines needs goats too. Yes. Will you yep. commit to putting goats somewhere in Des Moines? Um, so I actually, I, we could. I think we could. I actually have a friend that lives over by Iowa City who who owns a, a goat herding uh, business. Oh, I've heard of this. So yeah. bring the goats to where you need brush cleared. Mm-hmm. Excellent, yep. right? Yep. Okay. So um, what about uh, you know? I mean, you're running against Connie Bozen. Mm-hmm. What's the difference? Yeah. Why? Um. So I'm a 30 year, 31 year old black man. Uh, who went to Iowa State, first-generation college student. So I bring a different perspective. Uh, what a lot of folks don't realize is there's five generations in the workforce. There's only two to three that's on city council right now. So that leaves us susceptible to, two to some... Two to three generations? Two to three generations. That leaves us susceptible to some large blind spots, us underrepresenting folks and misrepresenting folks. Uh, and as a person that prides himself on building relationships and building bridges, I'm ready to do the work to expand... Uh, expand expand that representation pool so we can represent people well in, I- so in Iowa and in Des Moines. I, I see the demographic demographic differences. What about mm-hmm. uh, differences on issues, political yeah. philosophy, that sort of thing? Yeah, I I would say I'm a progressive candidate through and through. Uh, I'm very vocal, so you're going to have a, a, a vocal pro- uh, champion on there. Uh, and I'm not sh- sh- scared to share my opinions and beliefs uh, as long as it's good for Des Moines and, and good for the the whole. Um, so that's what you're going to get out of me, uh, a young man ready to fight for Des Moines because it's given him so much. Okay. And you feel Connie has not been up to snuff on that? Um, I feel like she has had some good initiatives and good, uh, good plans. Uh, she's been a big player in InvestDSM. I like that plan. I think it needs to be expand out, uh, expanded more throughout a few other neighborhoods and definitely some neighborhoods that have been left behind. Uh, but I think it's time to pass the torch. Right. Yeah. And, and I like the fact yeah. that you're... Uh, that you're you're not uh, being negative about right. right? I, I think that's it's encouraging to see people run for office, not to tear somebody else down, mm-hmm. but to yeah. tell us what they want to do. Yep, so. that was the first thing I called her before I announced and told her this wasn't personal. This was just a dream of mine that I respected or everything that she's done. And she actually gave me a five hundred dollars scholarship when I graduated <laughs> from East High School. So, uh, no, I think Connie is an awesome person and. That was one thing I told my team. We're running a good, a clean campaign. If you good speak you. anything yeah. negative about her, you'll be off of this team. So, well, good for you. Yeah. I, I think I think voters will appreciate that. So. <laughs> Absolutely. Anyway, um, uh, great to talk with you, Justin. Um, if folks want to learn more about your campaign, I presume you've got a website. Yes, I do. Uh, I know you have a website. I've seen <laughs> it, but I presume you actually know the uh, website. <laughs> yep. So it's Justin J U S T Y N Lewis L E W I S dot com. Okay. There's no. There's no, I thought there was a letter four in there. No. Oh, no. That's nope. Just, nope. Justin Lewis. Uh, yep. JustinLewis.com. Com, and then if you it. want to okay. find me on Twitter, Instagram, it's Justin, the number four, DSM. All right. Thanks for joining us. And again, thanks to the local businesses who help sponsor this program. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gateway Marketing Cafe, Architecture by Synthesis, Story County Veterinary Clinic, Western Optometry, Groovy Goods, and Dr. David Drake, Family Psychiatry. Ed Fallon here with you. Back in a minute, folks. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store, centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. 
Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market. Good food, great community. You're responsible for a lot, and it's easy to become overwhelmed, to feel helpless, even hopeless. What's not so easy is finding your way back to feeling and functioning better. Psychiatrist Dr. David Drake helps individuals and couples throughout Iowa with the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling. Dr. Drake also prescribes medication when needed, and his services are offered on a self-pay basis. If you need help, don't delay. Contact Dr. Drake at daviddrakefamilypsychiatry.com. Today, we will analyze some of the latest and deeply disturbing news from this past week on the climate emergency. We will also talk about how some politicians seem to want it both ways when it comes to immigration. We'll get an update on the hypocrisy-laden so-called election audit happening in Arizona. We'll talk about a talk show host who had an amazing turnaround on COVID-19 and vaccinations shortly before he died. We'll also talk about Facebook letting big oil get away with its misinformation campaign. And Kathy Burns will join us for our food and farming segment to help answer some of your August garden questions. And remember, if you appreciate our alternative to the radical right-wing shock jocks, we need your support. Yep, sure do. We've got about 20, 25 monthly donors, and we'll need 10 more by the end of the year to keep things rolling forward. So Visit the donations page on the Fallon Forum website and step forward with a monthly pledge or a one-time donation if that works better for you. And um, thanks also to our nonprofit partners, including Bold Iowa, building rural-urban coalitions to address the climate crisis and to prevent the, the abuse of eminent domain to build pipelines. Learn more at boldiowa.com. And thanks also to Birds and Bees Urban Farm, offering classes on how to turn your yard into dinner. Get information about classes and workshops at birdsbeesurbanfarm.org. I am delighted today to welcome to the program David Osterberg. He's a former Iowa lawmaker, a retired professor of economics at Cornell College, and also an emer em emeritus professor, there we go, of public health at the University of Iowa. He's also the founder of the Iowa Policy Project and one of the Midwest's most distinguished environmental leaders, in my opinion. David, welcome to the program. Uh, hi, Ed. How are you? Hey, good. So last week, we discussed TransWest Express. That's a, they're a big oil company. They've got a plan to build wind turbines in Wyoming and build a transmission line to carry that electricity to the West Coast. And here's my take. You know, big oil is beginning its transition to big energy. Uh, they aren't dumb. They're just greedy. They, they know climate change is happening, and they know that fossil fuels are at the root of the problem. I mean, Exxon knew back in the 1970s. So they know that we're going to have to power our lives with something other than, let's call it dinosaur juice. And they want to own it all. They, they don't want local governments to control their own energy supply. Uh, they really don't want, uh, want us putting up our own solar panels if, we can, if, we can, if they can avoid us doing that. They want to remain a monopoly and an even bigger monopoly. So, you know, they've got this power, this uh, wind turbine farms in Wyoming, and they want to pump that to the West Coast to power Los Angeles. And again, I'm, I, have my res I, I have my support for wind and solar, of course, but my reservations about 
big transmission lines taking power from a rural area to a big city when, in my opinion, those communities on the coast or in this or closer to home, Chicago, ought to be finding ways of generating their own power. Anyway, that's my take last week, and I want to throw it open to you for conversation about that. And I know we've had some big news this week, including the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change's report. So, David, I'll let you pick it up from there. Start where you like, and we'll go back and forth. Okay. Uh, first of all, that report, which just came out today, is definitive. We are already so far along this path, this bad path of more and more fossil fuel that we are going to get maybe to some of these tipping points and never be able to get back to the earth that we knew. That's why when bad guys do good things, I say, let them do it. I am very supportive of solar and of wind. My problem with companies that come in and then large, um, you know, with the large arrays of wh whatever solar or, or, or wind it is, I push real hard for them to be using local labor and figuring out some way that the community benefits. But we do not have the choice of saying, oh, no, solar power is fine. If it's on my house, it's not good if it's on farmland that's now producing soybeans for ethanol for biodiesel or corn for ethanol we have got to do something right now that's why i come out saying more solar more wind and i'm less interested in who is doing it than it gets done well and i certainly get the urgency i mean the ipcc report is uh i mean to just to make i i, I think it's even stronger than what you said david it isn't saying that these things might happen the worst tipping points, I mean, the, the tipping points have already been reached in certain areas. And things are going to happen. The question is how bad, how soon, and whether we That's can right. recover. I, no, I agree. But yeah. some of the tipping points are still out there in the future. Yes. And those would be like the great conveyor belt that is moving energy up north may slow down. The Gulf or Stream. Stop. The Gulf My Stream. My golly, that yeah. would be catastrophic. And you never get back. Sweden becomes an icebox. As does Ireland. Yeah, which yeah. Uh, you and I like having uh, having spent some time <laughs> there together. Right. But the, uh, I, I, to me, there is another way to do that. There, it is possible to achieve, in short order, if we had the political will, a, an energy and renewable energy transformation that was, that was decentralized, that was dispersed, that wasn't owned by a few, a handful of really big companies. And, uh, you know, we, we haven't shown the political will to address climate change. And right now, again, the oil companies are getting with the game slowly but surely, uh, waiting to the last minute, of course. Uh, but, well, why, I mean, I, I wish we would have the political wisdom and courage to say, OK, but you guys can't own it all anymore. When you no, own the well, no, no, no. Yes, we should do that. Exactly. But there's not enough room, Ed. I mean, we've been looking in the city of Iowa City. Uh, we're trying to get a big push on to solar. And you can get with Google Maps. You can do anything with Google Maps. Right. You can look down and see what kind of capacity there is to produce solar from the existing rooftops. It is not enough to get to 100% of what you need to get to, Ed. Well, I you know. you got to have that. Sure. And you have to have some big solar farms and some big wind farms. And you have to build transmission that, you know, people in the Sierra Club don't like. But you got to build those things over people's objections 
to get the power out where it is actually have people. We have many fewer people here in Iowa, and you have even fewer in the Dakotas. That's where actually, we ought to be making win. Actually, I think I think uh, I'm not sure who you're referring to in the Sierra Club because I'm looking at an article written by a Sierra Club staff person a couple years ago regarding renewable energy in Iowa. And the article says, quote, does it matter if someone in Iowa is making money off wind that goes out of state? We are an export commodity state after all. A lot has been written about how rural landowners and school districts are benefiting financially from wind power. We all benefit from cleaner energy use, so what's the problem? I think that person agrees with you. Uh, I think that person does. What, Sorry but, to cast aspersions on Sierra Club. Well, but, but there I, have been a lot of environmental groups who have been opposed to any kind of movement of energy out. You know, I would rather have the big wind power go along the old Sioux line underground to get to Chicago. I'd prefer that to overhead lines. But if you got to have an overhead line, that is better than having Sweden become an icebox and Ireland too, and have uh, a rise of sea levels that flood a whole bunch of uh, people, including a lot of poor people. I, I have no adaptation possibilities. And I guess I'm not willing to give up on the 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 what really should happen, and that is that our political leadership uh, and other leaders as well should step forward and say, okay, this is how it's going to be done. We're not going to build a high transmi- a transmission line across Iowa farm ground from northwest Iowa carrying wind to Chicago. We're going to do what you suggested, put it underground. Um, we're, or, or, maybe, or maybe better yet, let's see Chicago build its own capacity. I mean, L.A., look at all the wind turbines outside of Los Angeles in the, in the desert, just, um, just uh, 100 miles west of L.A. There, there's a huge uh, array of them there. Why not put more? If they need more, put more instead of bringing it from Wyoming. It doesn't matter, Ed. Come on. I mean, there is, in general, not enough room. The problem, and the good thing about coal and oil, is, boy, those were concentrated ways of doing energy. Solar is very dispersed, and so is wind. And consequently, you're going to need bunch of bunch of room to do that. And you may not have the room around L.A. and have to go out to Nevada or Wyoming or someplace else. But again, this is a climate emergency. You used those words when oh, yeah. we started this discussion. Absolutely. It is a climate emergency, and it, this is an emergency. So if some people that I don't like are going to do the right thing, let them do it. Right. And they're going to do the right thing and affect us. I mean, the folks who live around uh, a high concentration of wind turbines you know, there, there's, there's a, there are problems associated with that. And I, and I have a hard, even if you may not agree with what their assessment of the problems are, they, they feel very strongly about that. And I, I would like to they find do. a way to no, address no, no. that. I, I, and I agree. I would, I would rather do that. And in fact, when it comes to wind power and comes to what kind of uh, effects there may be, many people think there are all kinds of health effects. I have actually, in a paper that's available at the uh, uh, at several places uh, since Iowa Policy Project has merged now with Common Good Iowa, I'm, I'm not sure I can find that paper, but you can certainly find it at the Iowa Environmental Council. Hmm. We looked at the health effects that might come from wind turbine noise or wind turbine, what's called infrasound, the sound that's still coming. We could not find there any 
major health effects besides uh, some pretty good annoyance. Hmm. But yeah, I can see people are annoyed. But here, here's the question. We now have a big solar array that's proposed by another, you know, gigantic company at the former nuclear power plant site in Iowa. We only had one nuke, Dwayne Arnold Energy Center. It went down because it was too expensive to continue to produce electricity because wind was cheaper. Now they want to put in as many megawatts of capacity of solar to replace that nuclear plant. The problem is it is a dispersed way of doing it. So instead of having this one nuclear plant, you have to have 3,500 acres of solar. All kinds of people are upset. Hmm. But listen, they were living next to a nuke for crying out loud. (laughs) And now they're going to live next to solar power and they think that's worse? Come on. Well, I just think of all the capacity to to graze uh, to graze sheep in between those panels, and think, well, that that could be quite a lot of uh, wool and lamb. <laughs> it could be, it could yeah. be, and they're all, you know, the city, you know, I'm sorry, the county of Lynn, Lynn County has requirements that if these boys are going to come in and put in their solar panels, they have to do it with public interest in mind, and a lot of that is pollinator habitat and. Uh, there are a bunch of advantages that come out of there. And one of the advantages is you're not polluting the rivers, right. which general farming in Iowa tends to do in profusion. One last question, David, before we run to a break here. Um, you know, it, but one thing I've noticed is that everything we talk about is, is based on the premise that we will continue to grow, expand, consume more, more people, you know, eating and consuming and doing more things, thus more power. At what point do we confront the reality that, perhaps the endless growth paradigm is not working and that we have to find ways of living more simply, um, more uh, spiritually, if I might, uh, instead of based on a material concept of continued growth. I agree. I agree. I remember I used to teach economics and uh, there's all kinds of uh, schools of, uh, not a lot, but there was a school of economics, sort of sustainability economics that talks about that. Yeah. Yes. Over time, we should do that. All right. But we have a big problem right now. We need more wind. We need more solar. David, thank you uh, so much for joining us. Folks, we've been talking with uh, David Osterberg. When we come back from a short break, uh, Joe Henry is going to join us. We're going to be talking about Governor Reynolds' double standard on immigration. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Groovy Goods is your Des Moines one-stop hippie shop. Located near Drake University, we are more than just a store. Groovy Goods is about community. We're a tribe brought together by peace, love, and rock and roll. You will be greeted by friendly staff, the smell of incense, the vibration of healing stones and crystals, the vibrant colors of clothing and tapestries, and an extensive herbal apothecary and metaphysical products. At Groovy Goods, everyone is welcome and no one is judged. Check us out online, groovy-goods.com, or stop in at the corner of 23rd and University in Des Moines. At Westrom Optometry, Dr. Joel Westrom and his team provide a variety of services, including comprehensive eye exams, children's eye exams, and LASIK co-management. Whether strictly utilitarian or a fashion statement, your comfort and vision are Westrom's primary concern. Dr. Westrom and his staff will work closely with you to determine the best solution for your eyes, prescription, and lifestyle. Services are provided in English and Spanish, and the clinic is open Monday through Friday 
from 9 a.m. till 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum again, Ed Fallon with you here, folks. Remember when you hear the, remember what you hear on this program, you won't hear on the corporate-owned stations. You can support the alternative to right-wing shock jocks by becoming a monthly sponsor. Just email me at ed at fallonforum.com for details. And thanks also to our local business partners, including psychiatrist Dr. David Drake. Wherever you live in Iowa, Dr. Drake can help through the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling. That's offered on a self-paid basis. And you can contact David Drake, familypsychiatry.com. Thanks also to Groovy Goods, that's Des Moines' one-stop hippie shop, where everyone is welcome and no one is judged. Groovy Goods is a tribe brought together by peace, love, and rock and roll. Learn more at groovy-goods.com or stop in at 23rd and University in Des Moines. I would now like to welcome to the program Joe Henry. Joe is the political director for LULAC, Iowa, and also a board member for Forward Latino. Joe, welcome to the program. Good to be here, Ed. Okay, so earlier this year, when the Biden administration asked governors to help find homes for refugee children crossing the southern border uh, on their own, kids who are on their own doing this, um, Governor Reynolds here in Iowa said, quote, it's not our problem, which struck many of us as heartless and callous and inaccurate. And so then the flip side, here's the double standard. You know, Reynolds complained to President Biden when she was not informed about a plane carrying 19 immigrant children landed at the Des Moines airport in May. So how does it's not our problem stack up against that? And also when Governor Greg Abbott in Texas says, hey, send us your National Guard, your state patrol. We need help down here. Suddenly it's our problem. What do you what do you make of this? Well, it's hypocritical. I mean, she uh, it was political what she stated. I mean, clearly while she had stated that she did not have the resources, state did not have the resources to provide uh, support for uh, several hundred immigrant children. Of course, you brought up the uh, the airplane that brought in 19. Uh, so she said that she couldn't afford it, but yet she sent down 28 troopers down to Texas yeah. to uh, to secure the border to provide humanitarian aid, whereas she could have provided it here for less cost. We understand that she is spending a quarter of a million dollars to do that humanitarian aid down there at the border. So it's hypocritical. It was the wrong thing to do. Uh, she should have been doing the right thing, as we had urged her when she was lieutenant governor in 2014. And Brand said we had spoken to them at that point when we had tens of thousands of immigrant children and their mothers fleeing to the from the southern border. Yeah, I mean, it, it just it almost seems like what she's trying to do is to be Donald Trump's best buddy. Well, she is. I mean, I mean, clearly she is. Is she's stating something that is being stated by many conservative governors throughout the country? It's it's the same uh, game plan uh, promotion. Uh, she thinks that she can uh, gain political points from her supporters if she continues to promote this hate mongering. But I would think I would think that most people, and certainly most Christians, I mean, the the Christian scripture and the in the Jewish scripture are both very clear about the importance of being welcoming to the strangers in your midst, to 
being to, to providing help to immigrants. True. And but so, she, but she is pandering. She thinks that it will work. I mean, we're guesstimating that there's probably thirty percent of her base that uh, this heat mongering will resonate with them. But I think she needs to realize that there's other good Republicans who may not tolerate this ongoing hate mongering. We look at the state of Iowa. Uh, most of the food that is uh, planted, picked, produced, processed, served is done by immigrant labor mm -hmm, here yeah. in Iowa. It's over 90% when it comes to folks on the farms and in the fields, in the food processing facilities, and then those who cook the food at restaurants and serve it. Yeah. There's not a day that goes by that immigrants don't impact us. I mean, clearly, when you go into a grocery store, anything on the shelves, anything in the fresh vegetables, the meat area, has been produced by immigrant labor, most right. of which are undocumented. So what do you say to the folks who say, well, they're coming here to take our jobs? Well, we know that's not true. They know that's not true. They know that they and their children and their friends and family would not be in the fields. They would not be in the meatpacking plants. They know what the truth is. But, you know, we are more than willing to bring up the facts and make it very clear that the farmers in this state, uh, in the agricult agricultural sector overall, again, as I said, in food processing, and again, when you go into a grocery store, that is produced, provided by immigrant labor. We know that. Everybody knows that. The owners of the farms know that. Right. So it's well, clear. And aren't some of the large farm, the agribusiness uh, uh, interest groups, aren't some of them lobbying for more immigration, specifically because they're not finding the help they need? To well, do, clearly to deal they are. I mean, even, even Grassley is, is echoing that demand. Uh, what is interesting, a couple weeks ago at a Senate hearing, Grassley did acknowledge the fact that we needed immigrant labor for more than six months a year. We need them year-round here in Iowa because there's not enough workers to do that type of work. Mm -hmm. But he says that at the same time, he states, but not until we can secure the border, <laughs> which is, again, hypocritical. Really? Secretary of Agriculture Vilsack has made it very clear that in farming, it cannot continue to survive if there isn't labor from other countries to come in to do the work. Hmm. Well, that's that's a whole nother conversation too. But I guess just to wrap up this this uh, this, I want to talk to you about some other things that Lulac is working on. But just to wrap this up, it seems to me that the the, the heartless remark of and I think of when Kim Reynolds is remembered in the future, this comment of hers is one of those key moments that she will be remembered by, and it will not be favorably. Immigrant children at the border, it's not our problem. It's not our problem. I would think that the majority of her base, and a lot of that would be Christian evangelicals, would be appalled at that. You would think a, so. Yeah. yeah. You, you would think, think so, so, but I would be wrong. You would be wrong. <laughs> Fairly. Because the thing is, it's a matter of education and getting the information out there to all Iowans about what really is happening mm. here in Iowa. We're multicultural in Iowa. 15% of Iowans are brown and black. And again, the immigrant community is doing the heavy lifting in agriculture. Mm. But we got to yeah. get that information out. So uh, League of United Latin American Citizens, uh, and a, and a group with an amazingly broad uh, portfolio of issues and uh, this is just one of them. What else are you working on these days that our audience might be interested in knowing Well, about? you know, we have a couple of lawsuits going on, one of which is to protect the right to vote, mm. uh, which should be important to all Iowans to make sure that 
you know, we continue to have the type of access to voting as we have done for decades. But, you know, the Republicans, when they passed a, a voter suppression bill a couple years ago, they wanted to restrict the amount of time to vote early, to make it more difficult to vote on Election Day, to even reduce the amount of hours to mm -hmm. vote on Election Day. And Crazy they were successful stuff. in making those changes. They have. Right. And they were, you know, the, what is happening in Iowa is happening in many uh, states across the country. And that's why we've seen a push at the federal level for a bill that would assure a minimum set of standards for voting access. And uh, that's, of course, being fought by uh, some within the Republican Party. They um, have, yeah, in two, two bills in Congress that are being promoted right now to make sure that people have the right to vote, that they can vote early and vote on the same day, register to vote on the same day on the elections and not mm -hmm. to reduce the amount of polling sites. I mean, things that, you know, we live in a democracy. So to have a democracy, we must ensure the right to vote and make sure every U.S. citizen who's of adult age has that right. And see if you agree with me, Joe. It seems like the, the biggest impediment to fair access to the ballot is gerrymandering. The, the ability to come in and carve up legislative districts that bear no resemblance to anything logical and uh, are strictly designed to assure a Republican majority in most places, or in fairness, in states like Maryland, a Democratic majority. I mean, gerrymandering can cut both ways. It just happens to be a primarily, primarily a tool used by Republican legislative majorities. Yes, I mean, it's true. And I, I, that is the fear that we have with the census data coming out mm. and how it's going to come to Iowa and what's going to happen at the state house and how the Republicans might change the way the dynamics of the layout mm. of how voters are proportionally represented. Well, and, and just to clarify that, it's a good point because in Iowa, we are one of those states that do it fairly. And this is a, a, this is a you know, bipartisan kudos here a nonpartisan legislative agency drafts the boundaries. And that's why when you look at Iowa's congressional districts, it's basically four blocks, north, south, east, and west. And, uh, yeah, do you really think they're the Republican legislature is going to try to change that? So, well, the, I mean, know, it that's, could happen. that's what we're hearing right now. I mean, uh, really? the, that legislative entity, nonpartisan entity, is going to propose something. And we're expecting that the Republican-dominated state legislature is probably going to vote it down. It may go to the state Supreme Court, and they may pass it back to the Republican-dominated state legislature. And there will probably be several times that this happens. And at the end, it could be that we have more areas, like here in Polk County, where it should be Polk County residents voting for their representatives. And we might have a little bit of Warren County in other counties, Dallas County, thrown into it uh, because of the gerrymandering. Hmm. I, you know, I'm... I'm gonna have. I'm gonna be surprised if that happens here, because if uh, I mean I, I don't I don't put I, I there, there's nothing that this current majority in the Iowa legislature wouldn't try except in my opinion that because if they do that, and the pendulum swings the other way, in the future they could be in trouble. Yeah. So I mean well, maybe you're right, but well, I'm hoping you're wrong. <laughs> there's news that's been coming out, and you know yeah. Laura from Bleeding Heartland and some others who have yeah. been talking about some of the scenarios that could happen. Yeah. Well, Joe, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, folks, we've been talking with uh, Joe Henry. He's with uh, the League of United Latin American Citizens, uh, the political director for the Iowa entity of that. When we come back from a short break, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, what happens if the Gulf Stream collapses. Yeah, folks living in the middle of a country might not think that's a big deal. It is a big deal, no matter where you live in the globe, and the signs are discouraging. We'll be back in a minute for more conversation on the Fallon Forum. Thank you. 
Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. With over 5,000 items to choose from, you can order groceries online and the Gateway team will bring them to you curbside. It's a convenient way to shop from anywhere and save time. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week with catering and floral services also available. Visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. Architecture by Synthesis provides planning, design, and design-build services for high-performance, low-maintenance, affordable homes and buildings. Owner Mark Klipsham is adamantly and actively committed to supporting the mission of the Fallon Forum and community radio stations. Mark knows we must all live and work with the goal of building better health for both people and planet. And he works to implement that vision through his stewardship of Architecture by Synthesis. You can learn more at architecturebysynthesis.com. Scorcher on our hands here in Iowa today, and maybe a lot of you do as well. Uh, it's summertime, but yeah, it's, uh, temps are higher than we have often seen, especially out in the Pacific Northwest. At any rate, we keep talking, we keep working, we keep doing everything we can. This is Ed Fallon, your host, taking you back to our conversation here on the Fallon Forum. And you know, you can support this alternative to the right-wing shock jocks by becoming a donor. Better yet, a monthly sponsor, check out the Fallon Forum website or just contact me directly at ed at fallonforum.com. And thanks to the local businesses who make this program possible as well. Thanks to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been caring for all creatures great and small for over 30 years. Our cat loves Kim. Our chickens, well, I don't know if they love Kim, but they're alive because of her. Learn more at Story County Veterinary Clinic's Facebook page or just give Dr. Holding a call at 515-232-8766. All right, so this just out last week as reported in The Guardian, and I quote, climate scientists have detected warning signs of the collapse of the Gulf Stream, one of the planet's main potential tipping points. The research found in a, quote, almost complete loss of stability over the last century of the currents that researchers call the Atlantic Mer uh, Meridional, there we go, I think I got it right, over-circulating, overturning circulation. I'm just going to call it the Gulf Stream, folks. It's also known as the AMOC. Anyway, these currents are already at their slowest point in at least 1,600 years, but the new analysis shows they may, they may be nearing a shutdown. What does a shutdown mean? Well, as David Osterberg shared with us earlier in the program, as an aside to our conversation about wind and solar, a shutdown of the Gulf Stream might mean a total ice block in, in Western Europe. But it means more than that. As the Guardian reports, uh, the shutdown of the Gulf Stream would have catastrophic consequences worldwide, uh, disrupting rains in India, uh, in South America, also West Africa, increasing storms and lowering temperatures significantly in Europe, uh, and pushing up the sea level in the eastern North, North, uh, North America. It would also further endanger the Amazon rainforest and Antarctic ice sheets. So again, things as far away uh, as Ireland and Sweden on the northern part of the world and the Antarctic are affected by the Gulf Stream. And this could happen again because of the melting of Greenland. 
and the uh, decreased salination of the North Atlantic. So this is a huge problem. I mean, you know, the wake-up call for climate happened, in, you know, real honestly, about many, many decades ago. But if folks are still asleep, maybe this will wake you up. I don't know. I hope so. And if that didn't wake you up, maybe the international, inter, sorry, Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change Report least, released last week, maybe that would wake people up. You know, this is a prestigious authority. This is the world's leading component of climate scientists. The, um, the assessment published last week, it's the uh, sixth report they did. This one has been eight years in the making, and it includes the work of hundreds of experts, uh, also peer-reviewed studies. It really represents the world's um, complete knowledge to date of, the, um, of, of what's behind the climate crisis. And it, it, it announced unequivocally that human activity is the cause of all these changes we are seeing. And that includes not just the slowing of the Gulf Stream, the melting of polar ice, the um, sea level rise. We've already seen some sea level rise. Um, the glacier melting, glaciers, inland glaciers melting, the heat waves, the floods and droughts, all this is related to the climate crisis and Again, that is because of human activity. This, is, this report is emphatic about that. And so the first thing to do when you're digging a hole, uh, when you realize you're in a hole, you stop digging, right? And that's what should happen here. We should be immediately, uh, you know, in every sector of our lives, finding, doing what we need to do to get off fossil fuels. And, and I know that, you know, that the technology is there. It's the political will that's not there. And again, I will say, I think the political will is not just, it's not just a leadership problem. It's a problem of everyday people who have yet to grasp just how critical this transition is. It's, it has to happen. It has to happen now. You know, so, you know, the, the uh, 197 countries from all over the world are coming together in November in Glasgow, Sweden. Sweden, ha, Glasgow, Scotland, there we go, the other S word. In Glasgow, there will be uh, the, the COP26 climate summit will, uh, you know, modest ex expectations are that it will be no different than Paris. And again, let's admit it, what happened in Paris in 2015 was exciting to watch, but unimpactful in the long term. In the big scheme of things, it didn't do much. But this has, to be, this has to be different. This has to do big things, and it has to do them fast. And it needs, there needs to be a global commitment, and a commitment among the, the biggest nations of the world, the, the, the richest nations, those that are either historically responsible for most greenhouse gas emissions, and that would include you know, the United States, Canada, Europe, Australia, but it also needs to include China. India, Brazil, growing countries that are consuming a lot and still digging that fossil fuel hole deeper all the time. And so, you know, this better be a big event. This better be huge. This better be the turning point or we may be, we may be coming to this too late. And already the, um, already the report says, you know, there are already things in the pipeline, changes happening. If, if we got off fossil fuels immediately, we would still see a rise to 1.5 degrees centigrade and accompanying problems with that. But if we do nothing, it'll get even worse. 
And worse to the point where we may not have a planet we, we can recognize anymore, meaning a planet that we are capable of living on. That's how serious it is. That's what's on the line in Glasgow. So Antonio Guterres, he's the UN Secretary General, and he warned the other day, about he, speaking about the report from the IPCC, he, has, he said this report is a code red for humanity. The alarm bells are deafening and the evidence is irrefutable. Greenhouse gas emissions from fossil fuel burning and deforestation are choking our planet and putting billions of people at immediate risk. Gutierrez then called for an end to new coal plants and to new fossil fuel exploration and development and for governments, investors, and businesses to pour all their efforts into a low-carbon future. Quote, this report must sound a death knell for coal and fossil fuels before they destroy our planet. Okay, so I will say this, in the U.S. at any rate, we are moving beyond coal. Not so much the case in India, Australia, China, other places. They need to do that. That better be on the table. But the U.S. needs to be on the table as well. The, the U.S., uh, there are our newfound passion for developing natural gas, oil, other domestic sources must be on the table as well. And President Biden, I, you know, I, I'm feeling deceived by him. He made it really clear when he was here in Iowa that he was opposed to the Dakota Access Pipeline. He made it clear that he understood that new oil and gas pipelines are a problem. And he has shut down the Keystone Pipeline, and that is good. But meanwhile, he ignores his commitment, made here in Iowa, to oppose the Dakota Access Pipeline, which is, which is being expanded as we speak. He has failed to do anything to intervene and to shut down Line 3, the expansion proposed by Enbridge in, uh, in northern Minnesota. And so I hope that in Glasgow, the Biden administration makes its own commitment to shut off these new fossil fuel uh, venues. I mean, that, that has to be part of the equation. If we expect China to step up and say, okay, we're going to scale back and we're going to eliminate our our efforts to develop more coal. If Australia, India make the same commitment, Biden better be ready to say, and we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna end our oil and gas exploration today. We're gonna stop it. We're gonna shut down these pipelines that are running, as I said, as I indicated, we were opposed to. And we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna move forward with greater speed on what we need to do. And you know, the bottom line is is it's gonna have to be, will this require some sacrifice? Of course it will on behalf of all of us. So speaking of sacrifice and speaking of COP26, you know, one, one, one slight hypocrisy that does not escape my attention, I'm sure it hasn't escaped yours, is that there will be government officials and NGO leaders and journalists all over the world, probably for the most part, flying to Glasgow. And it's um, impossible to not notice the um, hypocrisy of traveling by air with a huge carbon footprint to a climate summit. Again, if good things, if great things, if critical things are accomplished, that will be worth it. But I do say I admire the folks who are walking to the COP26 climate summit. And speaking as someone who walked to COP21 in 2015 with Steve Martin, we, uh, we set out from Omaha Beach in Normandy on Armistice Day and made it to Paris in time for the climate summit there. 
I admire, and that was a short journey, that was 200 miles. I admire the Young Christians Climate Network in the United Kingdom that are walking all the way from Cornwall. They started in Cornwall in southwest England on June 13th. That was during the G7 summit. They started there. They just came through London. They're heading north now. It's a relay, so it's not all the same people walking the whole way. They're kind of passing the baton as they go. But they're walking all the way to Glasgow through you know, through, uh, through Wales, Cornwall, England, up through Yorkshire, into, into Scotland. And, um, yeah, I hope they're going to raise a lot of awareness. I think, I, I mean, I looked at their website. Uh, it's really impressive. Uh, so, again, that's um, Young Christians Climate Network. We'll try to get updates from them as they move forward. But, um, yeah, to those who do decide to go to the Climate Summit in Glasgow on foot, by bike, by train, my hat is off to you. If you're flying there... And your intentions are good. I know you got to make that choice because, again, there aren't a lot of options for getting across the ocean. Anyway, folks, um, that's the update on climate. We'll be back in a few minutes here with another conversation for you. We're going to be talking about more blatant types of hypocrisy and the dangerous lies that are spread by people who, well, they don't mind them. We'll be back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. With over 5,000 items to choose from, you can order groceries online and the Gateway team will bring them to you curbside. It's a convenient way to shop from anywhere and save time. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out and delivery service seven days a week with catering and floral services also available. Visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, if you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Kim a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. Hey, we're back here at the Fallon Forum. This is Ed Fallon hosting with you today, folks. Um, yeah, thanks again to those in our listening audience who support the program. You know, our team of five dedicated volunteers couldn't do it without you. And if you're not already supporting our mission, please consider a donation. Just go to the Fallon Forum website or better yet, uh, become a monthly sponsor. And you can write to me at ed at fallonforum.com. We'll, we'll go through the details, get you signed up. And thanks to our local business partners as well. Uh, Thanks to Joel Westrom at Westrom Optometry. That's located in Des Moines East Village. Dr. Westrom and his staff are fluent in English and Spanish. The clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. until 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry. All right, so this story from the Iowa Capital Dispatch, it's a national story, but it was in our local dispatch here. The um, months-long Republican-led investigation in Arizona, again, Republicans in Arizona are calling it a, an election audit. We are not fooled. We know better. This is no audit. Uh, that, um, that investigation into the results of last year's presidential contest has already cost millions of dollars, thank you taxpayers, and produced no evidence, 
that indicates any kind of, you know, improprieties with vote counting in Maricopa County. That's, uh, that's Phoenix, uh, the largest area of the state. The state is less likely to go Republican. Um, so all that money spent, nothing yet to show for it. Um, and yet, despite that, supporters of uh, Trump, who again is behind this, he, he loves this stuff, they're still um, encouraging other states to follow suit. States like Wisconsin, Georgia, Pennsylvania, states that have a Republican legislature and went with Biden over Trump. And uh, again, these are, again, these are not audits. These are um, partisan distractions is maybe a good way to describe it. So, uh, yeah, the Iowa Capitol Dispatch also notes that the audits don't comply with the legal process outlined in state laws for reviewing election results. And they were, they were, launched, they were launched months after vote tallies were certified. So they're the latest sign. Again, this is more uh, Iowa Capitol Dispatch analysis. These are the latest sign that Trump and his allies refused to give up on the lie that he was the winner in 2020. Even in the face of so much public doubt and plenty of bipartisan doubt as well, there are lots of Republican election officials that are just insulted by the notion that, that the election was stolen. And of course, the uh, U.S. Department of Justice is saying, nah, we don't want these audits. There's nothing to see here. And uh, maybe not so surprisingly, the Democratic Congress is uh, raising a bunch of concerns as well. Uh, <laughs> So there's even this question, of course, about in Arizona, the uh, non-audit that was, you know, authorized and fine, authorized by the Republican uh, legislature, they were able to secure ballots and voting equipment and materials from election offices, and some say, well, maybe that's not even legal, and there are two counties in Pennsylvania that have uh, said no to those who want to secure those materials and ballots and equipment. Now, this is a quote I want to share with you because I think David Becker, he's the executive director of um, Center for Election Innovation and Research, I think he nails it. Quote, there's a whole ecosystem of individuals of scam artists whose livelihood now depends on exploiting the sincere disappointment of millions of voters who wanted Trump to win, who are victims in a scam and trying to scam money off of them. Now, it's a lot of, the word scam appears in there a lot. Uh, but I think the point is that there are now entities that are making a bunch of money on this. Entities that are aligned with uh, Donald Trump. Uh, entities that, uh, that uh, you know, if this, if this could continue, if what happened in Arizona, where they made who knows how much money, because we don't know, we don't know, we don't even know where the money's coming from. We know, well, we know some of it is from the state, from the taxpayers, but there's a bunch of other money that we can't track. So... Okay, so yeah, those folks are making a living through lying, and they know it. Um, but there are vulnerable people who want to believe that Donald Trump won, so they're going to go along with it. They're going to support it. Speaking of making a living through spreading lies, there's a guy named Dick Farrell. He, I can say was, because he just passed away last week. He's a right-wing radio, radio host, also on TV, uh, specifically Newsmax. He had a program in uh, Florida on a radio station in Florida, and he also, again, was a fairly regular feature on Newsmax, which, again, is a new thing. Newsmax makes Fox look liberal. Uh, Farrell was a um, staunch critic of uh, Fauci, Anthony Fauci, the, the, uh, the, head, the, the talking head of the 
Get Smart on COVID movement. Uh, Fauci um, got under Farrell's skin and Farrell urged his listeners not to get vaccinated. And um, since the, you know, shock jock kind of depends on um, kind of a foul approach to dialogue. And uh, Farrell called Fauci, quote, a power tripping, lying freak. That's just brilliant. Also accused him of conspiring with, quote, power trip lib loons. Yeah, this guy could have could have used um, some help with his uh, his uh, his lexicon. Anyway, Farrell had told his audience not to get vaccinated uh, all along as recently as June. That's uh, less than two months ago. So, well, guess who just died of COVID? Yep, Dick Farrell. Passed away last week, age 65, uh, died on August 4th. And maybe this won't surprise you, but Farrell changed his opinion about vaccines after he was admitted to the hospital. So he's telling his audience, don't get vaccinated. Fauci's a liar, a power-tripping lying freak. He's a power-trip lib loons. You know, I mean, he was saying all this crazy stuff. But yet on his deathbed, or maybe just before it, he changed his mind. And a close friend of his uh, named uh, Lee Hare posted this on Facebook, quote, Farrell texted me and told me to get it, meaning the vaccine. He told me this virus is no joke, and he said, I wish I had gotten the vaccine. Well, such a hypocrite. And I'm sorry, I don't use these, two, these words too often, but such an idiot. I mean, you, 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 and, and, how, and how, many people, how many people's lives is he responsible for? for spreading this, this wrong information. And here he is suddenly getting religion on what any common sense person in the medical industry has been saying all along, you should do. Anyway, okay, so speaking of hypocrites, Facebook, <laughs> or as I prefer to call it, F-book. Um, referencing, I'm referencing a CNN story here Okay, so um, <laughs> Big Oil has been strategically using Facebook to blitz Americans with a steady stream of messages designed to delay the extinction of fossil fuel use. By the way, I, I, I'm going to have to say as an aside, I love the expression extinction of fossil fuel, fuel use. That's, that's brilliant. Go, you go CNN. So um, that's according to new research. Uh, so pro-fossil fuel ads were viewed more than... 431 million times on Facebook's U.S. platforms in 2020 alone. Oh, let's see. What happened in 2020? Oh, oh, there was a presidential election and a bunch of other elections. And so the fossil fuel industry was using that platform to promote basically a lie about, about climate change, about its own commitment to doing something about climate change. Um, this um, report was completed by a group called Influence Map. Now, admittedly, I know nothing about them. They probably warrant a little more investigation. But the, um, the report found, and I quote, the oil and gas industry is using a more sophisticated playbook to undermine climate action, which involves the use of more subtle and nuanced messaging tactics. So I'm thinking, hmm, maybe they've been learning from Vladimir Putin. Um, I mean, that's, that's pretty slick. And disingenuous. Now, uh, maybe this will be no surprise, but of the of the um, vast amounts of money spent on Facebook uh, by these uh, oil interests, 
62% of all the ads were paid for by, drumroll, Exxon and the American Petroleum Institute. Now that, of course, is the, uh, that's, the, uh, that's the, in the interest group behind the whole industry, but very closely aligned to Exxon. So here's API's statement to CNN. Quote, um, we were, quote, working to inform the debate, make sure that it's grounded in and validated and, and validated by government and independent studies. <laughs> okay, continuing with that quote, this is again from Megan Bloomgren. She's the senior vice president at API. Quote, our energy literacy posts on social media are a fraction of the robust investments our companies are making every day into breakthrough technological research to shape a lower carbon future. Efforts like methane capture, hydrogen, carbon sequestration, and others. Okay, so I'm going to say this. Megan, you're good at your job. You know what you're doing. That's brilliant. And you said zero of any value. I mean, methane capture, carbon capture, carbon sequestration. This is not the solution. This means you're trying to continue to cause the problem and just find a way to trap this stuff without any scientific evidence that it's going to work. All right, so, you know, I, geoengineering is not the answer to our climate emergency. Stopping the problem. Doing, you know, not, not doing what we've been doing that's been causing the damage is what the solution is. And again, the question for Facebook is, why did you not police this? Yeah, I know why, because you were making millions and millions of dollars. I know why, sure. But, you know, because of this report, again, good report, Facebook is under pressure for its role in spreading that misinformation and not just about the... The, the beauties of the oil industry in terms of what they're going to do for us as we transition away from a climate emergency, but also, of course, about the lies around the 2020 election. So, you know, Facebook, you can do better than that. Again, as I like to call it, F-book. I have a love-hate love relationship with the, with the industry. Uh, I'm on Facebook, I think, because I have to be mostly. But uh, there are days when I think, oh, I admire my friends who don't do this. Anyway, um, speaking of Exxon... Um, no stranger to lying. I mean, they knew this back in the 1970s. They knew back in the 1970s through their own research that climate change was caused by human activity and that it was kicking our butts and going to make life miserable for people on Earth. And yet they chose to do what any good corporation that only cares about the bottom line would do, keep making money and damn the torpedoes. All right, when we come back from a short break, Kathy Burns is going to join us for what I, I, I like to call our, our light and lively segment of the program, where we don't talk about all depressing things that we have to talk about, I'm afraid. We're going to talk about food and farming and our August Garden Q&A. Kathy Burns joining us in a minute back on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Market and Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store, centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. You're responsible for a lot, and it's easy to become overwhelmed, to feel helpless, even hopeless. What's not so easy is finding your way back to feeling and functioning better. Psychiatrist Dr. David Drake helps individuals and couples throughout Iowa with the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling. 
Dr. Drake also prescribes medication when needed and his services are offered on a self-pay basis. If you need help, don't delay. Contact Dr. Drake at daviddrakefamilypsychiatry.com. Welcome back, folks. Ed Fallon with you here. Thanks again to our local business partners, including Gateway Marketing Cafe. That's Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. You can order groceries online, and Gateway also offers catering and floral services. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. Okay, so Kathy Burns, Kathy Burns, <laughs> Kathy Birds, Kathy Burns of Birds and Bees Urban Farm is joining us. That's almost a tongue twister, you know. It is. I try. So we do, you know, every fifth segment of this program, we do food and farming. And uh, today we're going to talk about August gardening questions. Uh, now, this is, of course, relevant to the upper Midwest, but a lot of this stuff may be relevant beyond our region. So mm-hmm. listen in. And what kind of questions will we be getting this time, Kathy? We have a lot of repeated questions, so I chose some that pop up quite a bit. The first one is about zucchini, and you know the joke this time of year, it's really good idea to keep your car locked, otherwise people will put zucchini in it. Right, they'll put them on top of the accordion they leave there. <laughs> you get accordions left <laughs> on the porch. So someone's got a zucchini patch, and they they put three plants in one hole. It's always worked for them before. They say, yes, the squash borers have torn up the bases, but every year they continue to produce despite that. The question is, do I trim off the leaves? So two things we can talk about. What do you do if the squash borers tear up the base of your zucchini plants where the stem is? You you put it, what on it, Ed? Well, diatomaceous earth yep. has worked well for us Mm -hmm. Um, but actually what really helps is being ahead of the game back in the spring and wrapping as the stem emerges as the plant emerges wrapping the stem in tinfoil and putting that into the ground aways yep and uh, this year we did that and then we were gone when it started to emerge and the stems got too lengthy and we came back and the vine borers had gotten in there so we've done a good job keeping up with diatomaceous earth just sprinkled over the top of that i think you pulled some borers I pulled one out, out originally and then we just sprinkle that with diatomaceous earth so our zucchini is uh, looking very robust and yes we trim the leaves so the question was do i trim the leaves zucchini plants do appreciate lightening the load a little bit they get a little air, they get a little um, sun, and um, I, I usually trim out maybe a fourth of those big yeah. leaves, especially those that start to look droopy. Yep. Next question, pulled the last of my green beans, carrot and onions this morning. I don't want an empty bed sitting for the rest of the summer. What's so good? What's some good stuff to plant now for fall? Ed, we've talked about this a lot before. We could just rattle off a, a list yeah. of some. And again, it, it depends on where you live, but here in central Iowa, First week of August is prime time for planting radishes, lettuce, spinach, arugula, carrots, green beans, peas, turnips, and beets. That's a really good list. Way to go. Thank That's, you. There's probably some head. more stuff. <laughs> oh, and collards. That's collards. one thing. Collards, yeah. You can plant a lot of stuff now, so get at it. Time's yeah. a waste. The, cha- <laughs> the challenge is you got to water it. Well, I mean, unless you get you know regular rainfall, but every day it'll need a little bit of water. Yep, yep. But we have 20 beds we put in this fall. <laughs> Well, when I say this fall, I mean the first week of August here in central Iowa. Someone asks, um, saw this on our pumpkin flowers. Thoughts? I looked at the photo on Facebook. I thought it was going to be um, squash uh, bugs. 
but it was um, it was aphids. Someone's oh. got aphids all over their their little their ye- little yellow guys. I th- you know I looked at the picture. It was the flowers, the plants. It was it was yeah. really thick. And so again, um, the diatomaceous earth. Is no, I, I would say for that I'd. Oh, neem. Yeah, Excuse well, me, neem oil. I've used neem oil for aphids, um, insecticidal soap, uh, spinosad. I guess you could try diatomaceous earth, but ideally, you 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 pay close attention and you 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 don't let it get to the point where they're just covering the plant. Mm-hmm. You know, right. They, yeah. They, they they I can't remember how many aphids will. A one aphid will produce, or two aphids, I guess, will produce in a day. But it's it's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. They 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 produce like rabbits, <laughs> or rabbits actually produce like aphids. It's amazing. They have, they have less protein than rabbits. <laughs> right. um, just an interesting question, and this is not one I see repeatedly. But someone is saying got, they have a picture of zucchini um, blossoms. Is this male zucchini flower at the stage where I can use it to fertilize a female? flower. You know what? They'll do that on their own via the bees. You don't need to do what you do with corn and kind of rattle rattle the... Um, or with um, your life partner. Stars. <laughs> uh, so you don't need to... No, you know, nobody they, needs to help them have sex. So the bees will do that for you. The bees are going from flower to flower. And you will notice there are many more male flowers uh, than female. And the male flowers are the ones that have the longer stems and they are falling off uh, because they're not all needed. There are They've more males. Job. There are more males than we need. Right. <laughs> in zucchini land. In zucchini and the bees land. help make sure that the males and females kind of, the bees are kind of like the equivalent of a, of a, of a, of a pickup bar. Okay. That's, that's, that, 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 that's taking the analogy way too far. Um, something I am seeing more often on Facebook, people are posting a photo of what looks to be their garden. They're saying, what kind of weed is this? Or what plant is this? And how do you preserve it? And really, it's weed. They're just <laughs> showing a photo of marijuana plants in their garden. They're being funny? They're being funny. Oh, okay. So right. um, if, well, you're, if you're on the forums, you know, be watching for I did that. see one that was uh, that was not funny. That was kind of, it was, really, it was, it surprised me. They wanted to know why their blueberry plant looked so <laughs> odd. And it was a picture of grass. It was grass. Uh, and, and the blueberry plant must have... Not weed. No, grass. no. It was just, just, it was just regular you, like grass. You know? Not smoking uh, grass. No, it was just kind of, some kind of a... It wasn't even like lawn grass. Okay. It was some kind of decorative grass. What's wrong with my blueberry plant? Well, your blueberry plant probably died and... It got eaten got up by ...taken over by, by, by a plant, <laughs> another plant of weed. Someone yeah. says, my good friend gave me a bag of potatoes. What can I do with these in order to use them before they go bad? I won't get through all of these that quickly. I'm trying to be creative. Do I freeze them? First of all, you must uh, not be eating enough potatoes. That's right. I saw a picture of the bag. You can get through that in a week. Come on, just think like an Irishman. (laughs) Or an Irishwoman. Yes. And uh, you don't freeze the potatoes. No, no, no. 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 And you don't want them in the fridge even. When potatoes get into the fridge... They, uh, it does something to the starch. It kind of ruins their flavor. I it can't turns exactly the starches into sugars. Oh, okay, there you go. So we, um, we ideal temperature for potatoes is like 40s, 50s, you know, around 50. Mm. So we, we store ours in boxes on top of the freezer. Yep. Well, on, on a, um, on a, the deep on a, on a cook rack. Mm-hmm. So there's a little space between the freezer and the box. But ideally, ideally leave them in the ground. Yep. You know, cover them with a little more dirt well, if you got. These were already picked. Okay, they already picked. Yeah. But ideally, if you have potatoes, don't pick them now. Pick what you want to eat. Put them in leave a cool the rest, cellar. Yeah. Well, leave the rest on the ground. That's the best place for them. Cover them with plenty of dirt so they don't get exposed to the sun and turn green. And then in October, even late October, 
dig them, and then if you have a great root cellar, go for it. Otherwise, bury them in the ground. Yep. Yeah, that's what and we do. eat those puppies. Eat those puppies. Uh, one more. Anybody ever gotten together with their friends to drink wine and look at each other's gardens? I'm going to say I've not done. Well, I've looked at my own garden with a glass of wine. Ed, we've been out there, but um, I think getting together in each other's gardens to look at them with wine is a great idea, and we should all start doing that. <laughs> Ed, I'm done. <laughs> well, Kathy, wait a minute. Look outside. There's people out in our garden right now drinking wine. <laughs> Well, that, well, word gets out fast. We are having a garden party right. later this year. Hey, thanks, uh, Kathy, for joining us today. And thanks to our other guests, Justin Lewis, David Osterberg, and Joe Henry. Thanks to our local business sponsors, Gateway Marketing Cafe, Architecture by Synthesis, Story County Veterinary Clinic, Westrum Optometry, Gruy Goods, and Dr. David Drake Family Psychiatry. Also, thanks to our nonprofit partners, Bold Iowa, and Birds and Bees Urban Farm. And thanks to our production team of Sherry Herdina, Forrest Detterman, Charles Goldman, Kathy Burns, and myself, Ed Fallon. Remember, folks, your support for this program means a lot. Sign up for my weekly email on the Fallon Forum website. Thanks again, and we'll be back next week with another hour of Cutting Edge Talk Radio.